0: Good morning, my name is Dan Jacobson and I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Bethel and it's my privilege to open up God's Word today, open to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be today. Uh, Some of you are like, you're on staff here? That's true. I'm actually the campus pastor of a totally different campus over in our Hobart Portage location. I just come bearing greetings to you guys and say uh, God is live and at work in all of our locations, at all of our campuses. The the gospel's bearing fruit and growing. I think that's uh, Colossians 1, 6. We're seeing that today in Northwest Indiana. And so praise the Lord for that. I'm I'm so encouraged. Um, Well, have you ever done the right thing? You know it's the right thing. You're convinced it's the right thing, only to find out at the end of the thing it was the wrong thing. Some of you uh, think you know how to do the right thing, but you found out that you've been doing it the wrong way. You thought you knew how to load a dishwasher. Then you got married. (laughs) And who knew? It was a different way to do that. Um, it's uh, Memorial Day weekend. I think uh, barbecues are like the thing to do. How many people are going to go, uh, fire up the barbecue after this is over? No one. <laughs> that is a lie. You're all going home. You've got the charcoal in the back of the car. You're going to do, right? You're going to, you're going to a barbecue today. Yes? Yeah. All right, great. Well, let me just tell you a little embarrassing moment about, um, a time when I thought I was doing the right thing, but it ended up being totally wrong. I uh, was 16 years old, it was summertime, and it was a uh, dinner, and I was supposed to be helping my family cook burgers. I was in the stage of life where every teenage boy just becomes carnivorous. I was just throwing burgers and bacon and steaks at the grill like crazy. And I was just eating like like nuts. And um, so it was dinner time and my family was like, Dan, you get to cook. So I, I decided to cook burgers like a good 16-year-old guy would. And um, so I go out there. I've used this grill a hundred times. I, I turn the propane on. Get the little thing that you got to do. You kind of lift it to make sure it's not empty like a doofus. You know, and, and, uh, and then I opened the lid, and I pushed the button. And I heard it do that little thing, and I go, all right, this is going to be great. I close the lid, let this thing heat up, go inside, and I got my fixins for my burgers. And um, I came back out. I got my patties in my hand, and I put them on the grill. And uh, what's that sound when you, when you put the, the steaks on the grill that it makes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a good Memorial Day weekend right now. I can, I can hear it already. And um, so I put the patties on the grill, and... Uh, None of that. No, nothing. And I thought, well, that's weird. I've used this grill a lot. It's supposed to be sizzling by now. It was at least 10 minutes, and um, I do what every 16-year-old boy would do in this situation. I lift open the grill, and I look in there, and nothing. And so I'm like, okay, well, I hit this button, and so I clicked it, and nothing happened. And I Click the ignition again. Nothing happened. Click to click to click to click to click to click. Nothing's happening. And so finally, I was like, "There's got to be something in there that's blocking the gas from coming out." I gotta. And so I—I I, I kid you not, 16 years old. I clicked the button with my head in the grill, and the next thing I knew, I was hearing ringing in my ears, and I was 10 feet away from the grill, and my eyebrows were all singed off. So happy Memorial Day. Go have fun with that grill. And I've done that a million times. Right thing, wrong way. Everybody say right thing, wrong way. Yeah, and you've done the right thing in the wrong way in your life too. Maybe you haven't, you know, had a a foolish grill fire. Um, uh, But maybe you've been at work and you've been doing the right thing. You've been putting your head down. You've been going the right direction. Only find out that this wasn't at all what your boss wanted you to do. Or you've been in a relationship with someone and you've been you've been trying to love them so well and and all of a sudden you're met with resistance and then you just get harped upon because you're doing the right thing in the wrong way in this other person's eyes. And sometimes it's a really frustrating experience. We 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 look at the situation of our life and we're like, I'm doing the right thing, so why is this happening? And it causes us sometimes, if you're like me, to think, Well, why am I doing this in the first place? I might as well just give up on this. This is ridiculous. And listen, when it comes to following Jesus, so many of us are doing the right thing in the wrong way. We're in Luke chapter 10. I want you to look at verse 38 because we have a short story today, a very, just a couple of verses that Luke the physician included in his account of Jesus' life that I think help us see how do we follow Jesus the right way. I mean, how many of us here are in favor of following Jesus in a way that is right? We want to pursue that. We want to follow Jesus the way he wants us to follow him, right? And so how do we make sure we don't walk through the Christian life uh, thinking we're doing the right things only to find out that they were totally wrong the whole entire time? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Let's look at verse 38 together. We're going to see a story of two sisters who want to do the right thing the right way. Verse 38. Now as they went on their way... Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary. Let me just set the stage for you for a second. And If you flip to the, the first couple of verses of Luke chapter 10 verse 1, Jesus has teamed up into pairs of two, 72 of his disciples. He's taken them and two by two sent them out. So 36 teams going out into the future places where he's going to be going. They're knocking on doors. They're pounding the pavement. And their job is to, is to preach the kingdom of God and, and to set up places where Jesus can then come and preach the kingdom of God. They're looking for homes that would be welcoming towards Jesus. And Martha had... One of those homes. You know what I mean when I say one of those homes? It's like one of those houses that you drive past and you go, I could, I could afford that house in 20 lifetimes and seven more jobs. She had this type of house. She she had the type of house that was featured on Zillow that has the really big open floor plan and it's great for gatherings and it's been designed for entertaining. It's got the big parlor where everyone can hang out and the great big open kitchen. This thing is top notch. And not only did Martha have the house, she had the personality to go along with the house. She loved hospitality. Martha's the friend that you have that's always inviting you over to their house for a meal or for a cup of coffee or just to catch up. Not being one of these types of people myself, I find the Marthas of the world a little odd. Like they enjoy having everyone in one place, particularly their place. Uh, They enjoy going through an immense amount of work to get their house ready for everyone. They take on the added burden of cleaning and making a meal and feeding everyone and decorating the house and making party favors and prepping guest rooms and clearing their schedule for the duration of their visit. Um, Not being this type of person, it's God's sense of humor that I would marry this type of person. My wife, even after this service is over, I'm going to go home and I've got guests coming in for the weekend. It'll be great. My wife is going to show love and hospitality to them. Anyone here have the gift of hospitality? Anyone just bold enough to say, I've got that gift? Some of you husbands are nudging your wives right now. You're like, you have that gift. And the gift of hospitality, I don't think is something that you just stumble upon. It's something that's taught to you, right? You learn the gift of hospitality. And my wife is a great hospitable person because she learned it from the queen of hospitality herself, my mother-in-law. When I go to my mother-in-law's house for holiday parties, I find myself, I go to the bathroom and I wash my hands and then I have to do a double take at the towels. Like, can I put my hands on that? <laughs> I'll just do this. Like, it's, it's fine. And, and I, I, um, I walk into her house and the candles are just, it's, there's an aromatic sense of it. Everything's clean, everything's perfect. She looks at me and she says things like, Dan, you're too skinny. Here's a steak, here's some pancakes, here's this. Here's, and the food never ends. And um, here's how I know she's the queen of hospitality is that most people in their pantry, they have like a shelf of napkins that's like this big. You get like a bag of napkins and when you need them, you pull them out, right? My mother-in-law has a pantry full of napkins. The whole thing is just napkins and she has a napkin for every occasion. For Valentine's Day, it's like the heart-shaped napkins. For Christmas, it's the joy to the world napkins. For Thanksgiving, it's the be thankful napkins. For Memorial Day, I guarantee you my, mo- my mother-in-law today has the flag napkin out in her table settings. Queen of hospitality. And this in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, is what we're dealing with with Martha. Scholars have agreed that her last name is Stuart. That's so easy, right? But I really believe that if Martha was alive today, you would uh, see her writing in Better Homes and Garden and you would follow her on Pinterest. She's that type of person. And so Martha has the how, she has the skills and she has... A sister, Mary. And at first glance, Mary appears to be the lazy, neglected, or irresponsible sister. Luke tells us that Jesus was welcomed into Martha's house and Mary just happened to be there like a bum. Actually, had it not been for the fact that she was a relative of Martha, Mary may have actually missed this whole entire moment in history. But let's see what Mary's contribution to the scene is with me in verse 39. Look at verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And in my imagination, which is kind of twisted, sorry, uh, but in my imagination, the scene opens and it kind of the camera pans into Martha's kitchen, and Martha's busy prepping all the egg rolls and the sliders and all the things that she's going to be serving over the course of her meal, and she's shouting to her sister, Mary, "Have you swept the floors yet? They're going to be here any moment. I need you to hurry, Mary. Use the good candles, Mary." And she's barking orders, and all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. There's a And she's like, oh, oh, they're here. And she rushes to the door and she opens the door wide and there is standing her guest of honor, Jesus himself. And she says, oh, Jesus is good. I'm so glad to see you. How are you doing? How are your travels? Have all other houses been nice? Come on in. We've got meats coming. The appetizers will be out shortly. We've got coffee brewing. What can I do for you? Can I take your sandals for you? I like warm hugs. Right, like This is Martha just loving her. If she, if she could, she would have picked up Jesus and carried him over to the place of honor and sat him down in the chair herself so that he might not have to lift his foot or a finger. And all of the disciples kind of follow in with Jesus into the sitting room. I think the two disciples who found Martha's house in the first place kind of get close to Jesus and elbow him. They're like, see, we told you she was good. Like, this is going to be a great house to be at. Jesus, I think, is looking at all of this and is kind of smirking. Obviously, Martha cares about him because he's been in a lot of homes, but none have been this clean. None have been this ready. None have been this hospitable. And everybody ushers themselves in, and Jesus sits down in his chair, and he starts teaching. Everyone except for Martha and Mary. They go back into the kitchen, and it's time, now that everybody's here, it's time for Martha to finally let the show begin. And she's ready to finally serve all the things that she's been working on all morning, and she hands Mary a platter, and she says, Mary, I, I need you to go take this out to everyone. Go serve everyone, make sure they get a chance to get it, and then bring me back this platter, because I've got to use it for my next course. And, and so Mary takes this and dutifully walks along, and she is serving every single person that she sees, and she's hearing the words that Jesus is saying. And he's saying things probably like, uh, the kingdom of God is. And in the midst of his teaching, in the midst of her serving, Mary is struck by what Jesus is saying. and She's fascinated. She's like, the, the kingdom of God is like, what? What's it like? And she, she, she all of a sudden has a dilemma. And in the midst of this moment, Mary makes a bold, a provocative, controversial decision. She looks at the tray and she looks back at Jesus. And she looks at the tray and she looks back at her sister Martha and then she looks back at Jesus. And Martha's probably looking at her saying like, go, go, come on, what are you doing? And, and, and Mary chooses to, to put the tray down and she kind of steps her way towards Jesus through all the men who are sitting at his feet, probably next to her brother Lazarus who would have been sitting right there and she sits down at the feet of Jesus. Mary is caught in the presence of Jesus and she no longer looks around at what is in the house, the dust and the dishes. She looks at who is in the house. She sees Jesus and she hears his words. Other rabbis have been in this home, in this room, even in this chair, but no one has spoken with such authority as he She can do little else but ignore the chaos around her and the perpetual nagging of her sister and focus in and lean in and hear the words of Jesus as he's speaking. Have you ever felt tension in a room? Maybe you know two family members who are kind of feuding and there's an awkward Christmas party at your family and you feel like there's just this tension in the room. We've all felt tension. We can all imagine the tension that must have been felt in this really awkward moment as all of these men who had been following Jesus are interrupted by this woman who comes and sits at the front of the line. They might have said things to each other like, What is she doing here? Let's see how Jesus handles this woman. Or is there nothing for her to be doing? This is a Martha party after all. But nothing happens. Jesus keeps on teaching. And Mary keeps on listening. And the disciples, as awkward as it must be, they they refocus their attention on Christ. Sure, it was frowned upon in this day and age for a woman to sit under the teaching and discipleship of a man. Most rabbis wouldn't allow it and most women didn't have the guts to try it. But Mary was drawn with her mind to hear what Jesus was saying. She was drawn with her heart to leave the serving and press in to be close to him. She was drawn with her body to go and sit. And with her soul, she decides to sit at his feet, which is a sign of worship and respect. And Jesus keeps teaching and Mary keeps listening and Martha keeps serving dashing back and forth in and out of the kitchen in the living room trying to pick up all the dishes and the plates and checking the food taking note of everyone who's in attendance so that she can send them a thank you card for attending and it doesn't take long for Martha's productivity to finally take that dip and she grows frustrated and she wishes she finally had some help and she looks at her sister sitting there doing nothing doing the wrong thing and in Martha in the midst of this moment she 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 looks at the situation and she decides that there's one thing for her to do. And look at what she does in verse 40 with me. In the midst of a holy moment of people sitting around listening to Jesus' words, she barges in and says, Lord, don't you care? Like, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the serving all alone? Tell her to help me. You kind of want to get out your fiddle a little bit and start playing sob music for Martha. It's like a two-year-old throwing a tantrum. Like, don't you care? And if you're a disciple in this situation, this day just got real. Because all of a sudden, there's this family drama unfolding right before your eyes. You came to hear Jesus and you got a fight, is what you got. And we want to give Martha the benefit of the doubt on this one. Because in that day it was customary for uh, women of the household to serve together, and, and it was frowned upon for a woman to neglect the household chores of this day. But Martha, realistically, is not concerned about Mary in this moment as much as Martha is concerned about Martha. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me? And the offense by Mary against Martha is really somehow Jesus' problem. We see in Martha the sense of pride that her identity as a hostess is being attacked. She's, She's doing the right thing while her sister Mary isn't. And she says, Jesus, you arbitrate here. Help me out. Tell her, Jesus, tell her to help me. Everybody say right thing, wrong way. And if we look at how Jesus responds to Martha's request, I think we get a very quick picture of what God's trying to teach us through this little story. Look at verse 41 with me. This is how Jesus responds. In a moment of kindness, he says, Martha, Martha. I think you gotta say that out loud to really get the full effect. Say that with me. Martha, Martha. You know it's bad news when Jesus says your name twice, right? Right? Like for me growing up, I'd break something and my parents would scold me by saying my first and middle and last name. Like I'd break a glass and from the other side of the universe would come, Daniel James! I'd be like, I I, know, I did it. And this is what Jesus is getting at. He's he's saying to her this technique, saying her name twice, it's kind of like saying your first and middle name. This is the same technique that Jesus used in Luke chapter 22 when he confronts Simon Peter. He says, Simon, Simon. Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Martha, Martha, this double naming construction, it's the same technique Jesus uses when he confronts Saul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter nine. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Martha, Martha is the same construction that Jesus uses when he laments Jerusalem in Luke chapter 13 for hardening their heart against him. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to it. See, embedded within this double naming technique, embedded within Martha, Martha, it's not a a point of endearing disappointment. Martha, Martha is a statement of Jesus that is laced with condemnation. The same condemnation that was heaped upon Jesus at the end of his life, at his trial, when the masses around him cried out, crucify, crucify him see, Martha, Martha is a heart-revealing statement that Jesus uses to show that she is condemned. Had Martha known the condition of her heart and the power of the one who whom she was commanding and demanding justice, she might have done better to just keep her mouth shut. But instead, I love our Lord. Look at how he takes this moment, this awkward moment, and uses it kindly and, and firmly to teach Martha. Look at his response. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And then Luke just kind of closes the book on that story. Jesus has spoken. Mary has been vindicated. And Martha has been silenced. Mary has chosen the good portion. The play on words here is unmistakable by Jesus. He says, Martha, you've been serving up physical portions of food all day long. And Mary has not chosen physical food, but spiritual food, which is better. She has not chosen dutiful service, but willing submission. She has chosen my words over your commands, Martha. Listen. Mary's good portion is to sit and hear the words of Jesus. And friends, here's the big idea. As we all walk out of here today, I want you to know that you and I can choose the good portion. You and I can choose to do the right thing in the right way. By sitting and hearing in a relationship with Jesus And in the context of this story, this living room kitchen collision, where we see serving and sitting clash, Jesus teaches us a few lessons about the good portion. The first is this, is that sitting and hearing, it trumps serving and hating. Sitting and hearing from Jesus, it's always better than serving Jesus with a heart that is proud. And the contrast in Mary and Martha is incredibly obvious, isn't it? One sister is content with the work that is done, and so she sits down at the feet of Jesus. She says, it's enough. I want to go push in and listen to what he has to say to me. And on the other hand, another sister is uncontent with the work that is left undone. And she neglects Jesus to go about her own way of living, trying to think that she's the winner in this scenario. And yet Jesus calls it very clearly. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion, Martha. Trump, you've been trumped. It's as if he's saying, you're, you're trying to play your ace of legalistic service and Mary has trumped you with me. And before we go any further, let me be so completely, hopefully honest with you. i let you know that as, as a pastor, as I look at this passage and as I think about my own life, of the two ladies in this story, the one that I resonate the most with is not Mary, it's Martha. Like, I see in my heart Martha's heart. Actually, if I were to take the names off of this situation, just kind of say, you know, there's a a, a sister who's getting stuff done, and there's a sister who's just sitting down, which one do you think is more godly? I think the majority of us would say, well, obviously the one getting stuff done for Jesus. And I know I'm not alone in that camp. I know that this heart exists in so many of us in so many different ways. And listen, Martha is not completely bad. You see, in Martha, we see a heart that loves people, a heart that loves Jesus. Martha is uh, striving for levels of excellence. She's best foot forward. She's trying to do the right thing. But in Martha, we also see this deep desire to please people. And she might have invited Jesus into her home, but once he was in, she neglected him for the sake of pleasing people. And she actually leaves Jesus out of everything. Even the way that Luke records this story, doesn't it seem like Jesus is just an incidental character until the last verse when he speaks up? She completely ignores Christ. And she lost sight of God when she put her validation in the hands of people. Listen, Martha thought she was right. But when you're wrong in the way that you're right, you're wrong. And when you're pleasing people in your service as opposed to pleasing God, you're wrong. Because people pleasing, it leads us to miss God in the serving. When you miss God in the serving, when we fail to see, like we just saying, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. When we fail to live our lives and work among us and with, with, this, with this eyes towards the fingerprints of God at work, when we fail to see that, when we please people, we easily become haters. And if there's a general generational gap here with the word haters. Let me explain what a hater is if you don't know. A hater is an insecure critic who tears down the activity of someone else. They throw shade on everything else that's being done by their people. They're always trying to criticize, always trying to get people to come to their side of the issue more than trying to actually do what is right. Nothing is worse than a hater except maybe a religious hater. They're all truth, no love. They're all rules, no grace. They make a spectacle out of the smallest offense. The religious hater, they see only the work and they miss God and his participation in the work. And when we see the work and we miss God, it causes us to criticize and to serve not out of the relationship that we have with God, but out of our assumptions about God. I mean, this is exactly what Martha does. This is the the essence of her accusation. She says, don't you care, Jesus? Which is an assumptive statement. I know what you care about, Jesus, and so I'm trying to remind you that you care that my sister's not helping me. And before we point the finger too quickly at Martha, I, I want us to remind ourselves that we are just like her. We, too, are tempted to assume, Lord, don't you care about the way that I'm serving you? Don't you care that nobody else is doing the things for you that I'm doing? Don't you care that nobody else is helping me run this? Don't you care that those people are coming here? Don't you care that this budget's too too small or too big? Don't you care that the music's too this? Don't you care that that church over there said this thing? Don't you care that our government's not, that our society's not? Don't you care, God? And how dangerous it is for us to serve God and to follow God out of our assumptions about God and not out of a deep, knowledgeable relationship with him where we sit at his feet and know his heart. I think to all of us, Martha's in the room, myself included, we need to have our eyes open to the example of Mary. Who knew this? She knew that it's not what is happening in your house, but it's who is in your house that makes all the difference. Because when God comes to your house, you, you're no longer the host, you're a guest. You no longer are an owner, you're a tenant. You no longer need to f- be feeding people, you yourself need to be fed. You no longer are teaching others, you need to be taught. Right? For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And all of our souls are satisfied and served what they all need at the feet of Jesus. What, Martha, will you give to Jesus that he doesn't already have? And who, Martha, is Jesus serving if you're too busy to sit at his feet and listen to him? And I wonder what would happen if Bethel Church was a church that took the posture of Martha very seriously. Where we saw that she was leading the way in discipleship. She was humbly setting aside her pride, her fear, her insecurities, and she was dedicating her life to knowing Christ. Amid all the pressures of society, amid all of the angst that's in the room, she, she, she shut it all out to say, all I want to know is Christ, and Christ him alone. This is her priority, it ought to be our priority throughout the rest of our days, to seek God and his word first. Because sitting and hearing it trumps serving And hating. I wonder how many of us here find that as we walk through this your heart in ministry as you've served in this church has been one out of your assumptions about God and has led you down a road to bitterness. And the best thing that we can see today is that Jesus calls us to choose the good portion. To not be validated by what we do for people but to be validated by who we are in Jesus to know that he wants us in a relationship with him. I pray for our church. I hope it encourages you to know our pastors pray for our church that our hearts would be more attuned to the presence of God in our lives as we come into his house, that we would always have this vertical focus of our lives and re- the mirror and reflection of, of who God is. And to care more about that than we do our to-do lists or what campuses are we going to open or what's happening tomorrow. We care mostly of the good portion, that we would know Christ because it's far better to sit and hear Jesus and serve him with a critical spirit. Mary and Martha, they teach us another lesson. Not only is sitting and hearing the good portion of sitting and hearing Jesus uh, better than serving and hating, but, but, but sitting and hearing it does this. It, it reframes our anxieties and our trouble. Before we all get up and walk out of here and say, man, Pastor Dan told us we don't have to serve at church anymore, that's great, That is not what this passage is talking about. This is not a passage, man, that gets you out of doing dishes. And I know, wife, I'm gonna sit at the table with with my Bible open and hear the words of Jesus right now. No, no, Jesus doesn't confront Martha for serving, does he? What he confronts in Martha is a heart that is anxious and troubled. He says to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. And how many here are anxious and troubled about many things? Anxiety, it's an internal emotion. It's what happens when our brain can't shut off of the problems of this world. And to be troubled is to actually demonstrate that internal turmoil externally. And all of us do this every single day. It's unavoidable at some point. Um, this past Thursday night, I was trying to fall asleep at night. I, um, I was in that state where, like, you're, you're sleeping, right? And my wife's phone buzzes. And um, on the other end is a text message, and it, it tells us some news that a, a college student that we had in our college ministry, who was studying to do pastoral ministry. He was in class. He was rushed to the hospital, and he died that day. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm anxious, right? I've got some anxiety in me, because I've, I've got little kids, and, and this guy was only 22 years old, and I pray for my kids to grow up and to, to have a long life, and I know that's not guaranteed, and All of a sudden I start thinking about that and I'm I'm young. I'm not too far from how old that man was and all of a sudden I'm hours into the night and I'm not able to sleep. My heart is anxious. My soul is anxious. My body is troubled and this is what Jesus is calling out. He's saying that at the core of anxiety is a failure for us to put our lives squarely in the hands of Jesus. He says that You need to trust me to guide you and protect you and counsel you and heal you and deliver you and sustain you. And this is what Jesus is calling out. That thing that's inside each one of us that causes us to lose sleep at night. This thing that's in each each one of us that causes us to mull over situations until we can figure out the right thing to say. He says, no, 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 give that to me. All throughout his life, Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said things like, do not be anxious, do not worry, do not fear. But I imagine how your heart might resonate with the way my heart responds to Jesus' commands. Kind of like, tell me, Jesus, how am I supposed to not be anxious when there's only 24 hours in the day? Tell me, Jesus, how, how should I not worry when our country is so unstable? And how should I not be anxious about my family? And I think, Jesus, we're past what to eat and what to wear type issues in our society. I mean, it's a really complex culture of this day and age now, Jesus. I mean, Jesus, have you read the news? Our only options are Trump and Clinton and Sanders. And honestly, I look at the cares of the people in this room. And isn't it great to know that we can come to a church where we can bear bear and carry our burdens with one another. We can cast our cares upon the Lord together. And if you're up towards the front, you just heard things people praying, saying, I've got this health concern. I've got this family thing. I need this in my life. I need Jesus to show up here. Man, we are anxious and troubled people. And here's why this is called the good portion. is because when you take time out of your busy schedule to come to church services like this one, to gather in the corporate assembly of believers, to sing songs to God about how great our God is, to have the word of God preached to us out of his scriptures. You're not hearing my words, but prayerfully you're hearing the words of Jesus and you're being ministered to by Jesus. That when you take time to sit and hear what he is saying to you, all of a sudden it's like that old hymn that says, when you turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full of his wonderful face, and then the things of earth they grow strangely dim in the light of His glorious grace. And sitting and hearing, it reframes our anxieties and our troubles, and we realize that God is big enough. That God is big enough in this room to handle every single problem that you have in your life, and you have in your life, and you have, and we all have in this life. And at the first service, and at the third service, and at every campus, and every like, like our God is not weak. And when we sit and we trust him, we realize that we are freed from the burden of performance and our anxieties and our troubles are put squarely where they belong, back on Jesus. I'm so reminded of the phrase or the the quote by Martin Luther, who is probably the most productive man to ever live. And he once famously said, I have so much to do, so much to get done that if I don't pray for three hours, it'll never happen. And this is sitting and hearing and choosing the good portion. And finally, we see this throughout Mary and Martha's story. Not only do they show us that sitting and hearing the words of Jesus, when you take time to carve your relationship out for for Christ, carve time out for Christ, you you can serve him with a heart that loves him and not hates. So you can, you can um, have your anxieties and your troubles alleviated, but also we see this third very important thing, that the good portion of sitting and hearing, it assures blessing and eternity. And maybe you missed this in, in the text here, but Jesus says that, uh, he, that Mary had chosen the good portion which would not be taken away from her. And when I hear the phrase good portion, I think of Psalm 73, which says this, this is my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There is the blessing of eternity when we find ourselves in a relationship with God. Mary was so blessed by Jesus in this moment. I think she was blessed as a woman. When she decided to go against all the societal, cultural norms of that day and to courageously take a stand and say, I want to follow Jesus. And she stepped her way to the front of the line and sat at his feet and listened to him as a disciple. And Jesus didn't curse her. Jesus didn't kick her away. Jesus didn't deny her. No, he opened his arms and said, no, no, come, come. I want you to be here. Come sit at my feet. And he does this with all of us. No matter what we've done, no matter who we are, no matter how disenfranchised by society we've been, the feet of Jesus are the place where he wants all of us to come and to sit and to listen and to, to be his disciples. But I think Jesus also blessed her when the accusations from Martha started hurling towards Mary. Jesus kind of stands in the way of the accusations, doesn't he? He intercepts the, the accusations of the accuser. He, he intercedes, is the word for Mary. To intercede, it literally means to stand between two things or people, to bring them together. It's kind of like what a mediator does at a, at a table where there's a dispute, trying to bring two sides together, or what an officiant does at a wedding where there's a bride and a groom, and he's, he's interceding on behalf of the people to God and bringing them together. And, and Jesus intercedes for Mary. And he intercepts the accusations that fly against her. When, when, when Martha says, Jesus, don't you care? He, he kind of bows up in her face and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Martha, you are anxious and troubled. You are the one with the issue. You are the one that you think is doing the right thing, but it's really in the wrong way. And in this Jesus so blesses Mary as he defends what she's done. And friends, I want you to know something that you and I have an intercessor who is just like this. In fact, our intercessor is exactly the same person found in Luke chapter 10. It is Jesus himself. That one day at the end of time when we stand in judgment and the accuser comes before us, which is a code word for Satan, When he comes on the last day, those who have faith in Jesus Christ will see Jesus intercept the accusations that fly against us. That he stands in the way, he intercedes for us by this cross. And on that day, he'll stand in the way and say, no, 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 no. Sure, Bob might have been this way. Sure, Dan might have done this. Sure, Dave might have been this way. But, But my blood on the cross has covered all of that. And my grace is big enough and they've embraced it and I've forgiven them. And I no longer hold anything they've done against me and no longer hold anything against them. They are free to have the blessings of eternity. Listen, the good portion is not just to know the Bible. The good portion, the greatest portion, is Christ himself for us. All throughout scripture, God is pictured as our portion He's our provision, our sustenance. And the greatest thing that God has ever done to provide and sustain for us is to give us Jesus. On the cross, Christ died for our sins, for the wickedness of our hearts. Christ even died for the times when we've neglected him. And he's blessed us with all eternal blessings because his death and his resurrection provide a way for us to have eternal life with him. And the blessings that we have from following Jesus are the greatest portion we could ever have. That if you grab a hold of Jesus by faith, if you accept the fact that Christ died on the cross for your sin, that you'll be saved into a life with God that is without end. Sitting and hearing it assures us the blessings that God wants to give us daily, but that ultimate blessing that we have in eternity. I want you to close your eyes as we close this now. Martha sacrificed the blessing of Jesus in the midst of her busyness. I think we sacrifice Christ's blessings today and of eternity in the midst of our running to and fro from one thing to another. When the urgency and the immediacy of our lives cause our eyes to drift from the promise of eternity with Jesus may we choose the good portion and sit with him. When the cares of this world cause us to sacrifice our relationship with the one who sacrificed himself for us, when the cares of this world cause us to sacrifice our relationship with the one who sacrificed himself for us, oh, may we be called back to you, O oh God, our portion The good portion. To choose your greatest portion of Jesus. May we do that forever.